So, in case you haven't figured it out already, we're a little, we're a little, uh, we're a little, we like freedom here at Elevate, so uh, not a lot of religious pretense attached to what we do. So, uh, we believe Jesus, the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, so we like it to make the church approachable and connectable, and uh, that's kind of why we do some of the things that we do here. But, so if you're a first-time guest and you're kind of like, this is really, this is kind of freakishly exciting, I've never seen this or that, and well, we want you to join the party and be a part of uh, what we're doing. But we're doing a teaching series here on um, movies, and that's why we're giving out our movie tickets. And what the object behind this is, is to uh, motivate the Christian to reach out to their friends and family members. And then if you are one of those friends, family members, neighbors, or what, whoever you may be, you're the one who brought you here. We wanted to, uh, in no, no uncertain terms, bribe you to come and hear about Jesus. And then we wanted to bribe you to come and experience what God is doing here at Elevate Miami Church. And uh, so we take, a, we take a, a theme from some of the movies. Uh, and what we do is we, uh, there's always an arcing story. It's called the meta story. And within every compelling story, somewhere along the line, the most attractive stories always have within it the story of God, whether it's the story of hope, the story of redemption, story of forgiveness, story of restoration, heroic stories. Every story that compels always has within it um, the elements of the story of God. So, you know, we pull from the movie and we take out one of the compelling stories. And so we're going to talk about heroism today. We're talking about heroic stuff. And um, uh, what movies, anybody seen any movies this summer? You're like, no, dude, that's why I'm here for the tickets, yo. You know, what have you seen? Ant-Man was good. I liked Ant-Man. That was good. I give that one a thumbs up. Jurassic Park, I didn't see that one. But you like it? See, for me, like my thing last week with Jurassic Park was, okay, we're going to do Jurassic Park, what is it, like four? Didn't we watch the first three? Don't we know that when you go to that, you know, the people in that movie, they're like, you're going to go to that island. Hello. You know, it's like, hey, we're going to go to an island where there's dinosaurs. What could possibly go wrong? Somebody holds up the video series. Uh, Jurassic Park 1, 2, and 3, uh, something could really go bad here. So, but yeah, I heard Jurassic Park was good. But uh, Sherry doesn't like all these like over-the-top, really heavy action movies because she gets like freaked out, you know, because it's like overstimulating. You, you know what I mean? Like guys, we like movies that go on a ride, you know? We're like, yeah. What was the movie about? I don't know, but it was really cool. Stuff got blown up. Things got thrown around. It was crazy. We, we just went and actually saw um, there's a, a movie called Holmes. I don't know if you heard of that. And it's very slow paced. And so I went there with my daughter for her birthday um, because Mission Impossible wasn't out yet. So um, couldn't go see that. I already saw Ant-Man, so I couldn't see that either. So we went and saw Holmes. And I looked at Mariah and I said, your mom's really going to like this movie because it's really slow. And there's not a lot of like crazy action. And it's like a big story. So we went and saw Holmes. And Sherry got, we, I go, what do you think of the movie? She's like, I thought that movie was great. And I, so anyway. Anyway, enough about that. But um, so we're doing uh, heroes. Heroic. Have you ever noticed that the best heroes are misfits? You ever notice that? Best heroes are misfits. Every hero is a misfit. The Avengers, they're all misfits. Superman's a misfit. Batman, can we talk? The guy lives in a cave. I mean, hello. You know, best heroes are always misfits. And what you need to know, if you're a Christian and if you're new to the Bible, and some of the things you need to know about God is that Jesus loves misfits. I don't know if you're aware of that. He loves the misfits. No, Kevin, Jesus likes it all perfect and in order. Wrong God, okay? Wrong God. Jesus loves the misfits. And why? Because the misfits always make the best heroes. All through the scripture, all of the heroes of the Bible, if you want to call them that, we call them that because we look back at them. 
But all the heroes of the Bibles were misfits. Moses was a misfit. He didn't fit with, with the Egyptians. He actually didn't quite fit with God's people. He was a misfit. He didn't know where to go. Abraham was a misfit. He didn't even have a house. The guy spent his life wandering from place to place. Joshua was a misfit. David, can we talk about David? He was a misfit. His brothers didn't like him. His, his dad forgot he even actually had him. If you know the story, his dad was like, oh yeah, I do have another son. What was his name again? David, yeah, where's he? He's out there in the field. And then can we talk about the prophets? Can we talk about people who are misfits? Ezekiel, he's the greatest misfit in my mind of all of them. They're all kind of crazy. I mean, a little tipped, right? You got Ezekiel. God said, I want you to give a prophetic word to the people. Ezekiel's like, go for it. What do you want me to say? He's like, well, I want you to give them a prophetic sign. So I want you to shave half your head. And I want you to take the, the hair from, you see, you think that hairstyle was like modern? You know, people with the shaved sides of their head, you think like we came up with that? No, that goes way back, man. And so Ezekiel had to shave half his head right? Take the, take the hair into town, burn it, and throw it to the wind. And because of the people's disobedience, he says, this is what the Lord's going to do. He's going to divide the city. Half the city is going to burn, and the rest of you are going to be scattered to the wind. That's what he told them. So he gives them a prophetic sign. That's a little crazy. That's a little out there. Can we talk about John the Baptist? John the Baptist wore camel's hair, like a camel robe, right? Camel robe. He's rocking a camel's robe, and he's eating locusts dipped in wild honey. Anybody want to hang out with that guy, right? You know, he probably had bugs in his beard. You'd be talking to him. He'd be pulling crickets out of his beard and eating them. I mean, he was crazy out there. Then we got the disciples. What about the disciples? These guys are, these guys are complete misfits. And they were not only misfits in their culture, they were misfits to one another. They had emotional differences. They had ideological differences. They had spiritual differences. They had differences all over the place. But God calls the misfits to himself, and he uses the misfits. Do not fit inside social norms. That's a misfit. Because we're not created to fit inside social norms. We're created to fit inside social re or spiritual realities. And so you know, all of you are misfits. That's not true, dude. I'm not a misfit. Yep, all of us are misfits. You're either ADD or OCD. Okay? ADD is like, you're just squirrel. What happened there? Squirrel, squirrel. OCD is everything has to be perfect. Everything has to be perfect. And so you think you're not a misfit and you're that OCD person where everything's got to be perfect. You're a misfit. Some of you are ADD and OCD at the same time. Okay. So everything has to be perfect, but just for a little while. Okay. So, you know, that's how it is. We're misfits. Temperamental. You know what that means? Half of it's temper. The other half's mental. So that's our problem. We're misfits. Peter tells us this. He actually calls the disciples and the Christian is to live as a misfit. We're in the world, but we're not of it. So it tells us we embrace our misfit identity because we are, our place is not here. Our, we are not part of this system. We're part of another culture, another kingdom. We're not to fit in. We're not made to fit in. We're made to reveal God to a culture that doesn't know him. And that's pretty outrageous. So Peter says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. That sounds, like a that sounds like a misfit to me. Abstain from sinful desires. What does that mean? The things that carry you away from your created purpose. Sin is to be carried away. Sin is to miss the mark in this context. And he's saying, because you're an exile and you're a foreigner, stop doing the things that are moving you away from your created purpose. Those things war against your soul. What does that mean? The things that carry you away from your created purpose cause you confusion and despair. Confusion and despair comes when we are not operating according to our created purpose and design, period. 
That's why we're confused, and that's why we have despair, because we're not only understanding what our creative purpose and design is, but we're not living towards it. So which is it, Kevin? Is it OCD or is it ADD? It's both. I have a friend, and he went to a very uh, well-renowned art college and, and uh, paid a lot of money to go there, and I would always be curious as to what they were teaching him, and he was getting his master's, and he would tell me, that at first it was confusing because he had two different teachers that were telling him to do completely two different things. He had one teacher that was telling him, I want you to put two, as much detail as you can in this one inch of space. Can you imagine that? You're an art, some of you are artists. It's like he was to concentrate on this little tiny space and put as much detail as he could into this one little inch of space. And then his other teacher was telling him to produce as many paintings as he could possibly produce. So he was like, on to the next, on to the next, on to the next. So it was OCD and ADD at the same time. I'm convinced that what we, what we define in our culture as ADD and OCD is nothing more than a creative impulse that God has given to us. I'm convinced of it. We go ADD, OCD, and it's because what we can't understand, we can't figure out how to fit that into what we would define as a social norm. Could it be that your attention deficit disorder, if that's what you want to call it, is because you're looking for the thing that will compel your interest the most and you haven't quite found it yet? Could it be that your obsessive compulsive disorder, the OCD side of you, could it be that that is a driving factor that causes you to refine things until they become to the highest level of excellence? Could that be? But what happens is, is we operate with our ADD and our OCD and we operate that out of dysfunction. And then we actually tell ourselves that we have a condition. And so now we have a whole slurry of problems, you know, because we're like, oh, I got ADD. Oh, I can't do anything. I got ADD. Oh, I can't do anything. I got OCD. Well, don't we all, right? Don't we all? Have you ever wondered that? And people are like, I, got, I think I got ADD. And it's because we can't fit it into the social norm. And yet, what, could it be that the ADD and the OCD and all this other stuff is misapplied? Could it be that we're applying it in the wrong way and we're not really understanding it in the right way? Just a question. I would tell you it's a creative impulse. And I would tell you find the, expose yourself to creative elements. It doesn't necessarily have to be artistic, but creative elements until you find what is right and then move with it into that. That's a whole side note. But, um, but I wanna talk to you today about heroic misfits. Next slide. You don't think the Bible's full of heroic misfits? By the way, I got an announcement at the break. My wife came up to me and goes, I have to tell you something. I go, what's that? She goes, your zipper is fully down. So. If I'm, if I'm touching here, it's because I'm trying to make sure my zipper doesn't go fully down again. Woo, there you go. Freedom. Heroic misfits. So there's a lot of heroic misfits in the Bible. And the first one I want to talk to you about is a guy named Gideon. Gideon. So what's going on here in this story in the book of Judges is that the people have abandoned the Lord. And because they've abandoned the Lord and started doing it their way and all this other stuff, they find themselves in a mess of trouble. So there's our first lesson, that when we abandon the Lord and we start doing it our way and we start making it up as we go along, we're ultimately going to find ourselves in a mess of trouble. And so God in his mercy and his compassion, because the people would find themselves in trouble, ultimately, once they were in trouble, they would remember God and they would begin to call out to God. And as they were calling out to God, God in his mercy would go and find someone whom he would call a judge. It's actually a shepherd, that's the word, to lead them out of where they were and back to where they were supposed to be or f into their future. So what's happening here is the children of Israel are, the people of God are in this bad position. And so they're crying out. God looks and finds a guy named Gideon and he comes down himself. And I'll show you that. It says, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites, Judges chapter six, verse eight. 
And the Israelites prophet, first of all, the prophetic word, God speaks a word to the people and he's explaining to them because they're crying out because of their problem. And he's telling them what their problem actually is. He says, this is what God has told you. I'm the one who brought you out of slavery. I've rescued you from the Egyptians. I've, I've delivered you from all of your oppression and I've literally caused your enemies to flee from your face. And I've given you what their land. But I told you that I'm your God and you must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. And what had happened here is the actual translation is you began to fear the gods of the Amorites. So they began to fear the gods of the culture around them. All of the things that God, the people, the people around them were worshiping and serving, and they began to fear it. They began to fear it. Well, what do people think of me if I don't live for myself? Well, what do people think of me if I don't do the things that they're doing? Well, what do people think of me if I don't say the things that they say or agree with the things that they said? And they were actually bowing down to the culture around them. And God wasn't calling them to do that. He was telling them to stand up for who he was, and we, regardless of what the cultural gods were of the day. We got lots of cultural gods today. Oh, we don't worship any gods, really. We have tons of them, tons of them. Worship money, worship sex, worship power, worship all kinds of things. Same as these people, only their people, only their gods had different names. So fear had come upon the people and the people had forgotten their identity. They forgot who they actually were because of fear. This is what fear does. Fear causes you to doubt not just God, but it causes you to doubt who you are. And they actually abandoned God. It says, then the angel of the Lord. Anytime the Bible says angel of the Lord, that's a it's called a theophany and it's a reference to Jesus. It's not an angel from the Lord. It's the angel of the Lord. And we know it's Jesus because he accepts worship. So if you ever read your scripture and an angel is appearing in scripture and it, ultimately anytime somebody sees a, a divine being or a uh, angelic being, they want to worship. The angels never take worship. That tells you they're an angel. Anytime it says the angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord's like, yeah, bring it on, worship me. That's Jesus. And so we see Gideon through the story, he worships this person who shows up to him. And so we know it's Jesus. It's called a theophany, a divine appearing. And so Jesus divinely appeared in the Old Testament many times. And so the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath a great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to a man named Joash of the clan of Abiezer. And Gideon, this is our guy, the son of Joash, was at the threshing floor at the bottom of a wine press. Let's just say that. He was threshing wheat. This is important. Come on, say it with me. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. And he was trying to hide the grain from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord said to him, mighty man of valor, rise up. The Lord is with you. So here's the problem. The people of Israel, because of their disobedience, because they wanted to do it their way, they found their lives continually plundered. Everything they worked for was being taken from them. The minute that they got it, they lost it, right? Whatever it was, their health, their well-being, everything was being plundered by an enemy because, of their out, because they decided to live outside of the covenant that God had established with them. And so God, what we have here is we have Gideon who's afraid to thresh wheat. What they would do is they would thresh the wheat. They would throw the wheat up in the air to separate the chaff in order to get the grain. Then they would take the grain, grind it into meal and make flour and make bread. So we have Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press. Well, this is significant. Why? Well, first of all, if you, there's prophetic significance. The Bible speaks in very clear language, but it also speaks in a prophetic language. And the prophetic language is only understood if you desire to understand it. If you don't want to understand the Bible prophetically, you never will. But if you want to look and understand the Bible prophetically, there's lots to be seen here. So here we have Gideon threshing wheat. Well, what is the idea of threshing wheat? The idea of the bread and the idea of the wheat was substance. 
And the idea of, of the wine and the idea of the wine press was power or spirit. Okay, Jesus is always about the wine and the bread, substance and spirit, substance and spirit. And so what Gideon is trying to do is he's trying to produce substance without spirit. He's trying to do something that he can only do in himself. And that was actually the sin of the whole nation. They had forgotten the spirit and now they were trying to accomplish things in their own power. They were trying to do it on their own. I've got a PhD. I can get this done. I come from a good family. Have you seen my bank account? Have you seen my stock portfolio? Oh, I'm not a quitter. I can accomplish it. The Bible says it's not by might nor by power. It's by what? By my spirit. Thank you very much. And so here we have Gideon threshing wheat, trying to create substance without spirit. And Jesus shows up and says, hey, mighty man of valor, you man of great substance, the Lord is with you. And Gideon goes, well, the word Gideon means slayer. That's literally what it means. So as soon as God told him and called him by his identity, he called his destiny forward. He said, you were born to be a slayer. You were born to be a deliverer. You were born to set people free. This is what he says to him. When he calls forth Gideon's name, it could, just like if I was to say you're a name, you would wake up, right? By calling forth your name, we call forth your destiny or we call out an awakening to the who you are. And so the angel of the Lord, Jesus, calls forth Gideon's destiny. He says, listen, rise up. And Gideon's like, are oh, you got to be kidding me? If the Lord is really with us, then why is this happening? Hello, anybody ever asked that question? Huh? If God's really good, why is this happening? If Jesus is really for me, then why is this happening to me? Well, God points it out. Clearly, it wasn't God's problem. It was their problem. They had left the Lord. They had walked away. They had forgotten their faith. Even if they were going through difficulty, they were to endure the difficulty because God was going to see them through the difficulty. But in this case, they had abandoned the Lord and they had done things their own way and they're actually bowing down to all these crazy gods and then they're wondering why God isn't blessing them because they're completely outside of his will. And then they're going, well, why are we captives? Why are we still prisoners? What's going on here? They couldn't figure it out. And so Gideon goes, well, if you're really with us, then why are the, where are the miracles of the ancestors? Huh? Where's the power? The Lord brought us out of Egypt, but now the Lord's abandoned us. And look, we're captives of, our, of, our, of, our, uh, of, our, of the Midianites. You notice Jesus doesn't even answer his question. But Jesus does point out the problem. You know what he says? Go in the strength that you have, mighty man. In other words, do what it is that you think you can accomplish because you've accomplished nothing. Go forth with what you think you can get done because you can't get anything done. Go with your strength because I'm sending you. You're so great, you're so awesome, I'm not with you, then go ahead. Go ahead because this is your purpose and this is your destiny, Gideon. Your purpose and your destiny is to lead people out of this place. And so naturally, Gideon comes around, next slide. I won't give you the whole story, but I will give you the idea. Once Gideon comes around and he realizes that this is the Lord and he realizes that God is with him and he realizes God is actually sending him to something and he's coming to grips with his fear and over and over again, God ministered to his fear. Fear wasn't the problem. Let's just say it together. Fear is not the problem. Not dealing with the fear, that is the problem. You understand? The problem wasn't fear. The problem was Gideon, God overcame Gideon's fear. And every time Gideon went back to him like four times and said, okay, if you're with me, show me a miracle. So Gideon goes and makes bread, puts it on a rock, and Jesus is standing there with a stick and he touches the rock, the rock lights on fire and consumes the bread. I'm sorry, that's a miracle. That's a sign. 
right? Then he does the whole thing with the fleece. Then he's in, is he going out forward? He's, he, he asked God for more signs. Jesus never backed off the signs. He never said, okay, I'm not going to give you any more signs, dude. You should be okay by now. Because every time God gave him a sign, Gideon moved forward. So it wasn't the fear. God's not afraid of helping you with your fear. God's not afraid of helping you move beyond your fear. The issue is, is that you have to be willing to deal with your fear. And so he told him, he said, Gideon, you want restoration? You want wholeness? First thing you got to do is you got to tear down some altars. You got to take away from you the things that you're worshiping that are outside of my covenant. And what were they worshiping? They were worshiping a God named Baal. And they had a and they, who had a partner God named Ashtaroth, who had a third God, the unholy trinity, trinity called Molech. And so we have Baal, who's the God of power. We have Ashtaroth, who's the God of sexuality. And then we have Molech, who's the God which they would sacrifice their children to. So they wanted power and sex, so they would go have power and sex. They'd create all these unwanted pregnancies. What are you going to do with the unwanted pregnancies? Well, naturally, we got to sacrifice them to a God. And so they would burn their children in fire. This is the state of the nation, right? Unlimited pursuits of power at the expense of God. Unlimited pursuits of sexuality at the expense of God. And they wonder why they have a problem. They wonder, duh, why do we have a problem? I don't understand. What's the problem here? Why isn't God blessing us? Because you're pursuing the very things that he has created outside of him. And so he says, tear down the altar of Baal and cut down the Astroth pole, which was, I don't even want to get into what that is. You can use your imagination. It relates to sex and they would worship it. And he says, tear down the altars. He says, tear down the altars. Uh, and his father was the one who actually built the altar. Some of you, you have generational altars in your, in your life. You have generational altars. And you worship it even from a point, well, my father was an alcoholic. My grandfather was an alcoholic. You're worshiping an altar of your ancestors that is not of God. Well, my mother was in poverty. My great-grandfather was in poverty. You know, uh, you're, you're worshiping an altar that is not of your God. It's a generational altar and you need to tear it down. And I can name many more, but I won't. The first thing he tells them to do is tear down these generational altars. And so he did it. He tears them down. And people say, well, Gideon did it at night. He was trying to hide. Well, Gideon did it at night because God was dealing with Gideon's fear. But God tells him in the night to take a bull and roast the bull. He says, not only tear, once you tore down the altar, now build me an altar and make a sacrifice on that altar. So what happens, Gideon tears down the altar in the middle of the night because he doesn't want anybody to see him. Okay, that's Gideon's fear. And then the Lord ministers back to Gideon and says, you don't have anything to fear. Sacrifice a bull to me. And so Gideon basically cooks 2,000 pounds of brisket in the middle of the night. Okay, so if you're going to cook 2,000, if we go right out here and we cook 2,000 pounds of brisket, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to know, right? I have a rule. I pass anything but a barbecue place. That's I just will not pass a barbecue place. I love barbecue. Live for barbecue. I don't live for barbecue, but I like brisket. And so, so if you want to make me something good, make me some brisket. No, I'm, just I'm totally kidding. I'm not asking you to do anything. But uh, he, he basically roasts brisket in the middle of the night. And what God is showing him is that, hey, you don't have anything to fear, Gideon. Tear down the altars. You don't have anything to fear. And then he tells him, walk out your destiny. Now follow me. Now follow me. And of course, all the people get afraid and they're like, why'd you tear down the altar of Baal? Who tore this down? We want to kill him. And his dad, the dude who actually built the altar, comes out and goes, why are you guys griping against Baal? If Baal's God, let him defend himself. Hello. Hello. And so he tells him to tear down the themes of, uh, tear down all of these things, walk out in his destiny. And so what was happening is, is they were afraid of the other gods. He was afraid that God would not deliver. God would not come through for them. Huh? Anybody here? And then he was afraid of who he was. 
These are all the things that cause us to live below the standard of heroic. These are all the things that cause us to live below the standard. We're afraid. Oh, what are people going to think of me if they find out I'm a Christian? Oh, oh what are people going to think of me if I have an opinion that's not theirs? If I actually stand on the word of God when the culture is saying one thing, if I say something else, what are people going to think of me? I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Ooh, I'm afraid. It's amazing how cowardly we become. We're descendants of a lion, so you know, Christian. Any Christians in this room, anyone who claims Christ as Lord, you're descendants of a lion, not a kitty cat. Not a chicken. He's a lion. What are they? Kings of the beast. They fear nothing. Nothing. That's who's in us. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead is in us. And we are the voice of God to this culture. We are the voice of God to this society. We're the voice of God in every arena. The political, the social, the moral. The Christian is to speak. And it's the very thing that the culture wants us to do is shut up. We don't want Jesus in our political system. We don't want Jesus in our social system. We don't want you to speak about morality. We define the morality. Who are you? Shut up. And so the Christians fear the gods of the land. Oh my gosh. We can't speak. We don't want to cause conflict. Really? Jesus said, I've come to bring a sword. I've come to light a fire on the earth and how I wish it was already kindled. Don't be afraid, Christian. Do not fear the gods of this land. Do not fear the voices of this culture that speak against the blasphemous, profane things against your God. And if you think that's wrong, you better gut check yourself. And if you're a man, I would tell you cowboy up, right? Don't be a coward. That's right. Where was I? <laughs> they were afraid of the gods of the land. They were afraid God wouldn't come through. And so they started looking to themselves and they started looking outside of themselves for answers and they would abandon God because they did not believe God was good. And there was always a war against that. And then they were afraid of who they were. Gideon's name means slayer. Hello. Good morning, slayer. Why did they name you slayer? I guess I got some prophetic purpose on my life. I don't really know. I guess I'm supposed to deliver people. I don't know. I'm going to go hide in the wine press for a while. He was afraid of who he was. Christians are afraid of the destiny. God speaks life over you. He speaks destiny over you. And guess what? It's bigger than you. If you could figure it out, you, didn't, you wouldn't need God. If you could do it, you wouldn't need God. Your destiny is who he says you are, not who you think you are, who he says you are. And so Gideon was afraid of his destiny, and so he was hiding. And these are the things that pushed away. And so what do we learn? Heroes are the ones who know who they are. Do you know who you are? Son and daughter. Do you know who you are? Christian, if you're here this morning again and you have Christ in your heart, if you don't, we'll give you a chance. You can join the party. But do you know who you are? Heirs of an eternal kingdom. Heirs of a world without end. Do you know who you are? All that your father has is yours. Do you know who you are? Heirs of the Spirit. Only ones who can access the Holy Spirit. No one else can. Given only to the believer. The world cannot receive him. <laughs> what price do you put on that? We have power. We have authority. We have destiny. We have purpose. That's who we are. What should we fear? Nothing. We're heroes. We know who we are. We need to learn and understand what our purpose is. We need to learn and understand how to live according to that purpose and not be afraid of the gods of the land and not be afraid of the voices of opposition and not be afraid of who we are or fear that God is not for us when he clearly says he is. The devil's a liar. Second misfit, heroic misfit, is a guy named David. Here we have 
Philistine, God of the land, the Philistine God marches out, proclaims himself great, talks to God's people, tells him how great he is and how you guys are all dogs and I'm going to kill you all. And, and so David, David's father, okay, David had been anointed king. So let's get this picture right because he's going to encounter his brothers. So the prophet comes to David, little boy, the de David's dad forgot who he was. Oh, do I, where, who, are we, do we have another son here? I don't remember. Yeah, but dad, we got David, David. Oh yeah, David, go get David. So he was forgotten of his father. You may be forgotten of your father, but you are not forgotten of your God. It's very important, very important to know. The whole world may not know your name, but Jesus does. Very important. And so he brings David in and anoints him with oil, pours oil over him as a 16 year old. It took him 20 years to get to the throne, hello pours anointing oil over him in the presence of his brothers and says, this one will be king. So flash forward a few months. Now we have a battle going on. The Philistine army in confronting the Israelite army with a big guy named Goliath, big monster dude, been a warrior since he was a child, mocking God's people. Everybody's afraid, afraid of the gods in the land. They're all in the tent shaking. Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Everybody's out there drinking. Oh my gosh, he's coming out again. No. This went on day after day after day, people cowering in their tents while the cultural person mocked the God of, the, of Israel, mocked the God of the, of, the, of the creation. Not one person would rise up until a little boy came along. David comes along and he's standing there and he's just standing there checking it out. And he's like, what the heck is going on here? And he says, what will be done for the man who kills this dude? Is anybody going to get it? If so, so if somebody kills this guy, is he, is, is he going to get anything? And of course, there was a big, the, the king was all freaked out. So he's like, I'm going to let them marry your daughter. They can marry my daughter um, and their whole family can be tax exempt for the rest of their lives. Okay, so anybody want to go out and kill this guy? If you kill him, you get to marry my daughter and you can be tax exempt. And David was like, wow, that's a pretty good deal. And so uh, he says, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Who is this pagan that he would defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him and they said, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. And they told him what it was. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, looks at him and says, you came out here because you're arrogant. You came out here um, uh, because of your pride. Who have you left the sheep with? I know your pride and your insolence in your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. And David said, I don't know if you can read that. He says, what have I done? And you know what the next word is? Let's just say it together. Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? You've come down here because of your pride and your instance. David says, you've got me completely wrong. Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Heroes stand up for a cause. If you stand for nothing, you will fall for anything. What do you stand for? What do you stand for? Oh, I don't know. I stand for me. Okay. If you stand for nothing, you will fall for anything. Samson was a guy who lived for the wrong purpose. Lived his whole life for the wrong purpose. Another guy born with destiny in the book of Judges. Another judge. Born with purpose, born with destiny, but lived for all the wrong things. Called to live a destiny in the spirit, chose a life of the flesh, chose to live for wine, women, and song, found himself at the end of his life with no hair, okay, strength gone, and his eyes were put out. And he was a captive to his enemies. Does that not give us a picture of what that, what that life leads to? And so Samuel asked God again. He asked, he repented for the things that he had done. He said, Lord, I turn from this. Give me strength one more time. So if you're here this morning and you've lived for the wrong purpose, I got a word for you. If you're not dead, you're not done. Okay? Maybe you've reaped the consequences of some really bad choices. Maybe you're in some really bad situations because of the choices that you've made. God is good. And if you're not dead, you're not done. And so if you want to live heroically and you want to live a life of destiny and purpose, what is your cause? 
What is your cause? What is that? What is a cause? What, what is your code? Do you have a cause? Do you have a code? Is there a must in your life? Is there something in your life that is a must? That something must be done about this? Somebody must pray. Somebody must do something about, about these orphans. Somebody must do something about trafficking. Somebody must do something about poverty. Somebody must do something about the people who don't know Jesus. Somebody must do something about the sick. Do you have a must? You're called to have a must. What's a must? The must is the, must is the echo of God on your heart, not on my heart. And people call me, oh, pastor, we need to run out there and we need to feed the poor. I'm like, I'm all for it. But that's your must. That's not my must. We'll support you in the must. But see, what people want to do is they want to transfer their must back to the church. They want to go, oh, it's your job, pastor, to go and reach the people who don't know Jesus. That's not what the Bible says. It's the saints that are equipped to do the work of the ministry. That's you. You're equipped. You're the ones who are supposed Somebody needs to go and witness to these people out there. That's your must. Somebody must go and feed the poor. That's your must. Somebody must go and do something about these issues within our culture. That's your must. Do you have a must? I will tell you what you have. If you have a must, that's where your destiny is attached to. He didn't say because he gave you a must, you had to figure it out. It's very important because we get a must. We get a drive in our heart and then we think we have to figure it out and we realize we can't figure it out. And of course you can't figure it out because it is the call of God. If you could figure out the call of God, you wouldn't need God to help you figure out the call of God. And so he puts the echo on your heart. It's a locator, echo locator to locate you and to locate you into a direction. Make sure I'm not running out of time here. <laughs> and to locate you into a direction. And then through that echo that he puts upon your heart, you were to relate it back to him. What is it that you want me to do? I had a girl here, the famous story, one of the big highlights, and she wanted to go and help all these kids in Brazil. And she was crying, I've been to Brazil, all oh, these kids, they don't have anything. And you know, I need to move to Brazil and do something about that. And I'm like, really? And I'm like, okay, well maybe you can't move to Brazil and do something about the poor people, the poor kids in Brazil, but we have a whole city that have unwanted children. We have tons of ministries here that actually try to serve the poor. Maybe you could contact some of them, work with some of them. You may not be able to go to Brazil, but what can you do right now? This is what it looks like. Not what can you, not this big, huge thing, but what is, what is your must and what can you do right now? Right now, today, can you do anything today? Is there anything you can do? Anything at all? Well, why don't you take a step there? Why don't you, why don't you, take a, why don't you research it and say, is anybody doing anything in this area? Maybe I should partner with somebody that's doing something already in this area. And I, cause I don't know what I'm doing, but maybe if I partnered with them and I could lend a hand and help and see where it leads, you have to have a cause. David said, is there not a cause? There's a huge cause. The cause is overwhelming. Jesus said, the harvest is white, the workers are few. And it's because most people don't understand that God has put a cause on their heart. And most people don't understand, most Christians don't understand that they have permission. You not only have permission, you have a mandate. A mandate is a directive. Every one of us have mandates and directives on our hearts. Every one of us. And guess what you are? You're going to be accountable for what you did with the mandate. Every Christian is going to be accountable for the mandate. So what does that mean? You better figure out what your mandate is. And you better start relating it to Jesus as to what you're supposed to do with your mandate. I have a mandate to plant a church. Didn't want to plant a church. Found every way possible to not plant a church. But God, when he puts a mandate on your heart, he doesn't let you go. So you're sitting in this mandate. And I didn't know what I, I, didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know people tell me, oh man, you know what you're doing. You, you know, I have church planners, man. What do you guys do? You guys know what you're doing. I had to figure it out every step of the way. And we still don't have it all figured out. But you know what we're doing? We're moving forward. We're moving forward. We're going to keep moving forward with the mandate that God gives. 
And every believer has a mandate on their heart. And God gave talents. We know the story. Am I familiar with the parable of the talents? Five, three, one. Every one of them was accountable. They were all given a mandate. And they were all given instructions to do something with what they were given. And Jesus did not accept nothing as an answer. When the one came to him, he said, what'd you do with it? He said, nothing. What was his response? Wicked and cowardly servant. You did nothing with what I gave you? You should have at least invested it in the church. That's what he said to stewards. So service, I always tell Christians this, service within the church is not only primary, it's the basic. So people think you're serving the church, that's fantastic. You should. You should give, you should support, you should connect, you should be a part of a local community because that's the baseline. This is the house of the stewards. We are the stewards of the kingdom. This is his house. And Jesus said you should have at least given it to the stewards. Your destiny begins here. It doesn't end here, but it begins here. It begins with a commitment and a connection to a local church. To him be glory in the church. Everything that is done is done through the church. People want to go and they want to do things and they don't want to connect to a church. I tell my wife that will not go anywhere. I said just put a little check mark on that and check on it in 10 years and it will be nowhere. Because everything the Lord does, he does through the church. Everything. Everything. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think, to him be glory, the weight of goodness through the church. It always comes through the church. So whatever God's telling you to do, it has to somehow be connected to the church in some way. Even if it's your business. Your business has to have some gospel in it. Or, say, I'm called to be a businessman. That's great. Is your business connected to the church? Is it? No. Oh, that's my business. My business is my business. Well, I will not be silent. I will not stand by and do nothing. That's what a must is. Everybody else can ignore this. I'm not going to ignore this problem. I'm not going to stand around when everybody does nothing. I'm at least going to try. I'm going to try. That's what a must is. The last misfits. <laughs> These guys are misfits. Second kings, but they all became heroes. David became a hero. Misfits, outcasts. Second kings, there's a famine in the city. And there's four leprous people sitting at the entrance of a gate. There's a prophetic word. Leprous people sitting at the entrance of the gate. And they say to one another, we're sitting here until we die. If we go into the city, there's famine in the city and we're going to die there. If we sit here and we do nothing, huh? we're going to die here. But if we go forward, this is the sum of it, we might die. So if we go back, we're going to die. If we stay here, we're going to die. If we go forward, we might die. And so what do they think they did? They went forward. Next slide, last slide. So here we have leprous people sitting in a gate and they come to the conclusion that we cannot go back into our past because it's too toxic. We cannot stay where we are or we will die. We cannot do nothing. If you do nothing, you will die. You wonder why there's death in the soul? You wonder why there's no vitality in your life? You wonder? Because you're doing nothing. And if all you do is live for you, you will never know the life of God. Just a thought. So they're sitting at a gate. What is a gate? A gate is a doorway into opportunity. What is leprousness? That's the weakness of the flesh. So they're sitting at a gate in a doorway of opportunity and destiny, and they have weakness within the flesh. They can't do anything. They're not capable of doing anything. They're lepers. Anybody seen lepers? It's a total disease of the flesh. The Bible likens it to sin. Leprosy is, is a type of sin. So they're sitting at a gate of opportunity, a gate of destiny, and they can't go through. And so they decided to move forward. You have to move forward. 
Or some of you, you're sitting at gates of past and broken things. Something that failed and you just cannot leave that gate. Something that didn't go the way you wanted it to and you cannot leave that gate. People who hurt you, disappointed you, even self-condemnation and regrets of things that you have done and you sit at a gate, leprous. The Bible says if you stay there, you're going to die. Well, I'm going to go back to my old relationship or I'm going to go back to my old things. The Bible says if you go back, you die too. What are you going to do? You have to move forward. You say, but I'm weak in my flesh. Absolutely. That's what these guys do. They said, if anything's going to happen, God's going to do it. Because <laughs> it ain't going to be us. We're a bunch of le leprous, weak, feeble, missing some body parts. Some of them are probably missing legs, you know, because leprosy, your limbs fell off. And they went forward. They moved forward. And when they moved forward, the Lord moved on their behalf. And the army and the opposition that they were facing became nothing. And the army that was facing them or facing the city actually fled away. They ran away and they left all this gold and silver on the ground. And so these lepers dudes come strolling into the camp and they're like, wow, what we were afraid of. Check it out, man. We just won the lottery. And so they're trying to, you know, shove all the gold into their, you know, whatever. And then they go, no, this is too much. We need to go back and get the other people. We can't take all this for ourselves. We need to go and share this with other people. You have to move forward. You have to move forward. I have to move forward. Let's just say it together. Yesterday ended last night. It's time to go on. You cannot control the past. That's right. You can't. The only thing you can control are your choices in the now. That's it. Time travelers. One way. Forward. We have to move past our brokenness. We have to move past our failures. We have to move past our falseness. What's falseness? Lies. People have said wrong things about you. You've believed wrong things about yourself. You've believed wrong things about your future. You've believed wrong things about God. Lots of people believe a lot of wrong, there's a lot of bad theology that's teaching about God. There's a lot of bad theology, bad teaching about God. You have to move past the bad teaching. You have to move past the false identity and stop believing that you are someone that, that you think you are or someone that someone else thinks I am and, and whether that's good or bad. You have to only, the only thing that matters is who God says you are. There's no other, there's no other issue here. It's who does Jesus say I am? If Jesus is who Jesus says I am, and this is my calling, and this is my purpose, and this is my identity, then how, what does it mean to live that identity? What does it mean for me to understand that I'm a son? What does that mean? And how does that mean if I'm an heir, and I'm an heir to this kingdom, then how should I live if I'm an heir of that kingdom? Then how should I live if I'm a son of that kingdom? How should I live? What should my life be? What should my choices be? Because that's your true identity. Your identity is not who your parents say you are. It's not who culture says you are. It's not who you say you are. That's good news. Hello? That's good news. Aren't you glad you're not who other people say you are? I am. Very few people have anything good to say about each other, do we? We're barrel of crabs. We all want to pull each other down. We, if somebody starts doing well, we don't celebrate it. We pull them down. Aren't you glad you're not who other people say you are? David didn't understand who he said. David didn't operate according to who his brother said he was. He's like, listen, I'm not, I may not be anybody to you, but I know I'm a descendant of that king. That's who I am. And I'm going to make a choice according to that identity that says I'm a child of that king. And I'll confront this Philistine if none of you else will. These, these lepers, they didn't have anything but courage. And you know what their courage was? 
Sometimes courage is just the ability to put one, to take one step forward. Sometimes life weakens you to the point where you have nothing to give except, man, if you can make, just start, put your head down and just start taking some steps forward, you're going to see that there's something for you. Amen? Anybody want to be a hero? <laughs> Come on, you're called to be that. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, Jesus has become a hero for you. He became like you to pay for the things that have separated you from him in order to take that to himself that you could be like him and you could come to him. And so if you're here this morning, you say, well, what does that mean? That means you need to receive Jesus in your heart, not in your mind, not because your grandma was a Christian or your uncle was a Christian. You need to receive Christ in your heart. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, not your mind, in your heart, and you would confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he has risen from the dead, you will be saved. And if that's you here this morning, we're just going to close with a prayer. We pray as a community. We're going to pray together as a group. And all I do is ask you to invite you to, to pray that prayer with us. Simply open your heart. You know how to open your heart. No one can do that but you. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If you will open your heart, I'll come in. And so if that's you here this morning, I just encourage you, challenge you, implore you, beg you. Open your heart and receive the gift that he has for you. And so let's just pray this together and let's just pray this prayer and I'll just pray along with us. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. I need a Savior. I may not understand it, but I choose to believe it. And I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. In all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. And may he be gracious to you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Woo.